0: Amen. Praise God. All right, well, this morning, I want to talk about growing in Him. subtitled The Path to Spiritual Maturity. Because you see, in everything in life, and especially, like, you hear this in business all the time, but if you're not growing, you're dying. There's only, there's no standing still. Matter of fact, if you are standing still, then you're actually dying. Because people, uh, in business particularly, um, if you're going out to get new customers, say, you're, you're getting new customers every day, and if you're not selling, if you're not getting new customers and growing your business, there's always atrophy on the other end. There's always die-off on the other end. As customers leave as people leave. So if you stand in place because you think you've arrived at where you want to be, you're actually dying. You're not growing. And it's the same way in in uh, spiritual maturity as well, because if we don't continue to grow, if we don't continue to, to uh, increase our maturity and get closer to Him, we're actually... Uh, dying on the other end you'll notice that if you don't actually take the time to continue spending time on your word and and pray and learn about Jesus and learn about the Bible and continue to invest in your in the kingdom that you'll you'll find that you're not actually standing still but you're you're actually falling off the other end and you'll notice that you'll stop remembering stuff or you're you're not invested in that fire that used to be inside you will begin to dwindle and go out and it's much like children as they grow into adulthood uh as Christians, as believers, we have to grow into spiritual adulthood or spiritual maturity. And the truth is that uh, the people that even surpass us in spiritual maturity are still growing every day. I my the the example that I that I see in my life is Pastor Mike Petra. He's my pastor, and and he's got, got a doctorate in theology, and and he's one of the most learned men in the word of god that i've ever met it's amazing the the uh what he has inside of him because he's in he's invested and spent the time to know the word and and pray and all these things and it's amazing what he knows and i look at him and i'm like man how could i ever aspire to be where he is you know i'm, I'm not near as equipped as he is and and there's a danger in that as well because the truth is no one's ever as equipped as equipped as they want to be and and there's always going to be someone who knows more than you who's better at something than you. there's always somebody that's passes you in those areas but even Pastor Mike with as much as he knows he still has to continue growing every day every day when he reads his Bible I've talked to him and he's told me as I'm reading even though I've been doing this for 30 years or however long he's been doing it I still see new stuff every day I'm still growing and the truth is that you never stop growing until the end So today I want to talk about uh, what it takes to keep moving forward, what we're going to talk about, this path to spiritual maturity, what what it takes to keep growing. And uh, the truth is that uh, like a children growing up, like a a child growing up, uh, we'll make mistakes. The truth is as we're going, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall, but as long as we get back up then we're moving forward growth isn't about growth isn't about necessarily a straight line like you would see on a bar graph but growth is about over time you're continuing to grow even if you fall as long as you get back up and continue to move forward you're going to be okay we learn we learn through our mistakes the problem is 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 when we uh, keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and we never learn then we're not growing so let's go ahead and and jump into it and we'll talk about what it means to grow in the in the in spiritual maturity So the first scripture I want to look at this morning is 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not flesh. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? And this fleshly here is using is not mean that he's not mean you're not unsaved or you're of the flesh. What he's saying is that you are acting fleshly. Says so you're acting like you know you're dealing with what your body wants to do. You're not acting spiritual. See, the truth is here is that babies can eat solid food, and I know you guys. I mean, if you tried to to feed Ad and I when she was a little baby solid food, she would just choke on it. She couldn't process it. Even if you could get it down her stomach, her body's not equipped to process solid food. They're just not ready for it. And the same goes for for uh, baby Christians. As we're young in the faith, as we're learning, we have to grab hold of the basics of the faith. The the milk of of the of the gospel. And in and in this this idea of the milk is is the gospel. That's the 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 basics of salvation. The basics of the gospel is is that you're saved by faith, that God gives you the free gift of salvation and that you are made brand new. So the, the milk is just learning about that, learning who you are in Christ, learning that you're saved. And this solid food he's talking about is understanding that is the sanctification that happens inside of you. Not the, uh, the, the, the sanctification that happens when you're saved, but actually living that out. As you, as you begin to grow in the Lord, you begin to live out who you are in Christ. And that's the solid food he's talking about. But the truth is, when you first get saved, you're just trying to get your head around getting saved. You're, you're a baby in the, in the Word, and you're a baby. You need that milk of salvation. You learn that you're saved. However, babies eventually have to grow up, right? I mean, how many of you guys would think it weird if I, if I busted out uh, a bottle and, and some, some, uh, some strained peas or whatever they call it and started feeding it to Haley? Come here, Haley. Wow, wow, open your mouth. I mean, that would be crazy, right? Because eventually the baby's got to grow up. It's got to learn to eat solid food. It has to, to continue to grow. You know, when my kids were young, we helped them out with anything they needed help with. You know, they, they needed help with, with tying their shoes. We tied their shoes. They needed help with getting something out of the cupboard. we get them, we get them something out of the cupboard. When they're young, we expect to have to help them. We expect to have to teach them and work with them because they're, they're, they're kids, they're babies. They, they can't do these things on their own. You know, a toddler, a toddler can come and yell at you, Milk! Or with Adnai, you know when she wants something she points and kind of yells and 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 we get that right she's a baby she doesn't know how to communicate correctly and she just points and whines or a, a toddler maybe a little bit older will, will yell milk milk when they want milk and and we understand that's what we want and we get it for them but how many know when a teenager does the same thing you're not going to put up with it. You might, you're going to smack them upside the head and get your own milk. You're not going to put up with that. And the same thing, as Christians, we have to grow. There comes a point when, when you've got to get smacked upside the head and say, get your own milk. You know, There's a point when you have to grow. And our actions, they actually indicate our level of maturity. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. You know, there's an expectation as you grow up that, that you grow up, you know, and, and not only physically, but in your, in your uh, emotions and, and your uh, maturity as a person. As our teenagers grow up, we expect them to start acting like an adult. I mean, how many times? Have you said to your at least I said it to my kids, I don't know, I'm sure you said it to your kids, but if you want to be treated like an adult, act like an adult. Anybody ever said that or something to that effect? You know, why am I going to treat you that way if you want to act that way? But your actions indicate your level of maturity. Basically, Paul was saying that when I was a kid, I spoke like a kid, I reasoned like a kid, I, I did childish things, and that was expected, and that was okay, but when I became a man, I had to do away with these childish things. The truth is that this Corinthian church right here, they were still acting like children. They should have been growing up. Well, Paul says, yet you are still fleshly. You're acting like, you know, you're acting carnal. Carnal is the way we, we hear it all the time. You're not thinking spiritually, you're not acting spiritually, but you're acting according to your flesh, which you want, those selfish needs and desires. And he says, there's still jealousy and strife among you. Those are indications. Jealousy and strife and getting offended, those are all indications of being immature in the Lord. But here Paul's saying, quit acting that way. Start acting like adults. And when we begin to see that, when you begin to mature in the Lord, your actions will actually follow suit. In Ephesians four eleven through 15, it says, And he gave some his apostles some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You know, the problem is that we have in in churches today is is, uh, the congregation seems to leave all of the heavy lifting to those in leadership, those that are doing it. They, They don't see this as the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. They see them as doing all the work. Somebody needs to pray for, the pastor will do it. Somebody needs to be ministered to or outreach to and you do some, some evangelism, the evangelists or the pastors will do it. You know, they, they, they leave everything to the pastor. But it doesn't say he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as teachers, pastors, and teachers for, the equipping of the, or for doing all the work. It says he did it for the equipping of the saints. You know, the, the pastors and teachers and evangelists, they're, they're in the body to actually help everyone else grow so that they can do these things. There's a, I was reading a story about a man who went to a circus and he took his kids to a small circus in a, in a small town in, in Germany and he noticed that, that there was only about 8 or 10 actors that did everything. They'd come out different parts and they would run out out of breath in a different costume and they would do all these different things and, he, and he's talking to his kids about it and he began to realize that, uh, that these actors could do everything but they couldn't do everything very well instead of focusing on, on one thing, instead of focusing on one thing and learning it and doing it very well, they were, they were just doing it the best they could because they were spread too thin. And it's like that in the body of Christ as well. You know that it's something like 80% of the people do 20% of the work in most churches? It's a, it's a common thing across America. But we need to grow up in maturity and realize that this is our job as well. The, the pastors and teachers are just there to equip us to do the work, not for them to do the work by themselves. And then he says that they're to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. See, our goal is to become a mature man. And the the plumb line of a mature man is Jesus Christ. And it says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is our goal. That is our template. That's what we're trying to get to. You know, Christ loved people. Christ never got offended at people other than when they were in the temple, when he, when, he, when he went against them, turning his father's house into a robber's den. But Christ loved people, and he had compassion for them, and he had patience with them. And he, he healed them, and he worked with them, and he always showed love. And that's the maturity level that we're working to, to get to. He is, he is our plumb line. What we're, what we're, we're reaching to, to strive to be is like Jesus. And then it says if we're a mature man, then we're not going to be carried away by false teaching. You know, it's very easy for for a young Christian, a baby Christian, to be carried away by false teaching because they don't know yet. They haven't learned. They're, They're just getting into it and learning. But as a mature Christian, you should be able to discern when someone's telling you something that's not in line with the Word of God. The problem is, though, is we have Christians that have been Christians for 20 years, but they've never grown up and they can still be torn to and fro by false teachings. And then finally, it says a sign of maturity is growing up in all aspects into Him who is in the head, even Christ. That means all aspects love, giving, working. You mean all the things that Christ did for the kingdom of heaven is where we're supposed to grow up and be. And the first step in, in growing up, the first step in making this transition into a mature Christian is understanding who you are right this very second. In 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4 it says, But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So how do we grow in maturity? And Like I said, the first step is knowing where you're operating from, what position you're, position you're operating from. First, we need to not let the criticisms and judgment of man affect us or influence who we are, what we do, whether good or bad. The truth is, Paul is saying here, he says it's a very small thing for me to be examined by you or by any human court. Basically, what he's saying is that that what I do is, is not for your approval. It's not for your judgment. It's not for any of those things. If I have a failure, it's not for you to judge me. If I have a success, it's not for you to judge me. But the one who examines me, Is the Lord. Matter of fact, he says, I am not conscious against anything, even of myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Now, how many of you have lived your life and can say that I'm conscious of nothing wrong inside of myself, that I've done nothing wrong? I don't think any of us can say that on the surface. But the thing is, Paul's not talking about that. We know the story of Paul, right? Paul did some bad things. Paul was killing Christians, dragging them out of their home. He actually held Stephen's held uh, the cloak of those who were stoning Stephen to death. So Paul was doing some terrible things, even especially to Christians. And he was just being a, a, a. In my eyes, it seems to me it was kind of like the Christian Holocaust back then, much like Hitler drug drews drug drews jug drug. Jews out of their homes and and put them to death and put them in concentration camps and did all these things, Uh, Paul was doing the same types of things. You know, Paul made mistakes. Paul didn't do all the right things. So how can he say that I examine myself and find nothing? It's because he understood that, that Christ inside of him replaced all of those bad things. When he examined himself, he examined himself as the Lord examined himself. And when Christ looks at us, and when Christ looked at Paul, he sees Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross for you, he paid your penalty. He paid your death, and he gave you his life. So when, when, when God looks down at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see our faults and our mistakes, but he sees Jesus. And that's why Paul says, I can have a clean conscience. And he also understands here. He also makes a point, though, too, is that that uh, this, con- this clean conscience he has, is doesn't make him clean just because he has a clean conscience. I mean, there's a lot of people that do bad stuff and and they have no conscience about it at all. They'll do stuff and and uh, either something's not wired right or they've done it for so long that it doesn't affect them anymore. And and uh, you know, there's serial killers that just have no conscience at all. They can just do all these nasty things. But just because they have a clean conscience doesn't mean that they're acquitted, doesn't mean that they're okay. It is the only person that can clear that, that can, that can let you be acquitted because of your clean conscience, or, or rather you can have a clean conscience because you're acquitted by Jesus. That's the only way that we can have that that understanding of ourselves. And that's the key. Starting from there is when we can actually begin to grow in the Lord. If we don't don't understand that we are clean in Him, that we've been made brand new, you'll never grow past that point. So that's step one. Understand where you're operating from. Amen? So the next thing we need to do is start asking for some wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. You know, this is talking about worldly wisdom, and it's kind of a weird thing. If he thinks he's wise, then he has to become foolish, then he's not really wise. I don't get it. What is he trying to say here? But it says, don't be deceived. If you think you're wise in this world, do you think you've got it all figured out? That can actually become a roadblock to, to growing in the Lord because you think you can do it all on your own. You think that you've got it figured out. I don't need God's help for prosperity because I'm wise in business. I can do all these things, and it doesn't matter if God wants to help me or not because i got mad skills, and I can, I can take a business from nothing to, to super successful Fortune 500 because I have earthly wisdom. You know, our ego can kind of get in the way sometimes of what God wants to do in our lives. We think that we know it all. But the truth is that we'll never learn it all. We'll never know everything, but becoming foolish, this idea of becoming foolish here, though, is is letting go of earthly wisdom. Now, it doesn't mean to act a fool or do foolish things, and it doesn't mean that if you have some, some, uh, some wisdom in this world to, to just throw it all away and just be stupid in your life, but what it does mean is, is understand what is more important, king, uh, heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom. Understand that, that the, the wisdom that comes from God is what should be directing your every step. Amen? You know another thing we see too is that uh, sometimes we th- we think we know it all. And we don't need God's help, and we see that in teens a lot. You ever you ever seen that in a teen? They know it all. You ever heard the the phrase that uh, the, te- the teenagers should uh, go out there and conquer the world while they still know it all? Because eventually they're going to realize that they don't. You know, teenagers. Oh, my son. Praise God, I love that boy. But trying to tell him something sometimes is like, oh. I don't know. Praise God. I love him. And, uh, but he's just so uh, confident in, in his own ability sometimes or in the way he does things. Or he feels like he's being, anytime you try to instruct him or teach him uh, something, he feels like it's an affront to him. And I think that a lot of people are like that when you try to instruct them and teach them, they think that their way is the way it should be done and and they get in, insulted or or feel like you're assaulting them by by trying to help them and teach them and instruct them and in the same way uh, if we're not careful, if we hold on to our earthly wisdom and how we do these things, we can get us we can get offended at someone trying to teach us or even God trying to teach us so that we can grow. You know what's what's even on the opposite end of the spectrum is that, that there are adults who, who have gone through life and, and they, they get past the point that I know it all as a teenager and they get older and they realize that, that they don't know everything and they, they almost give up because they, they feel like they can't know everything and they just give up. And they don't want to ask for wisdom from anyone. They not want to ask for help. They just give up on life. And that's the opposite of the spectrum that's, that's just as wrong as acting like you know everything. The idea here is that, that uh, we need to set aside earthly wisdom, wisdom in this age, and become foolish so that we can accept the wisdom of heaven and become truly wise. So how do we accept that wisdom from heaven? In James 1.5 it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, if you're lacking an area of wisdom, or there's some area that you're you're struggling in that, you're not sure what to do, ask God. Ask God for wisdom in that area. Ask God to, to instruct you on how to do certain things, to do these things that you're not sure of. And I thank God that the Bible says that he gives it to us generously and without reproach. One, he doesn't think bad at you. He doesn't think bad of you because you haven't got something figured out. And it says he gives generously. He's never going to hold anything back from you. He's going to give you the wisdom that you need to to operate in a godly manner. Amen. Amen. Philippians 127, it says... Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. See mature Christian Christian Man I don't get enough sleep. It's worse than normal. Mature Christians behave in a manner that brings honor to God and doesn't drag Christ's name through the mud. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, we've seen uh, people just soil their testimony by, by making poor decisions you see the the big ones are always the, the big names, you know, because people are constantly watching Christians in the big names, you know, these big-time TV pastors or TV evangelists, and, and they'll do something. And, you know, we've heard uh, there's one guy who committed adultery on his wife with a prostitute, and he's this big-name evangelist. And, you know, the problem is, is that when, when the world looks at us, they see Jesus. And that's a good thing most of the time. We want them to see His light inside of us. But the problem is, when we fail, they attribute that failure to Jesus as well. And they begin to think, why would I want to become a Christian if this is what Christians do? And we see that all the time already. That's why you see uh, uh, people labeling Christians as hypocrites or, you know, stuff like that. Because they see us and they see Christ in us and they automatically assume that our failures are attributed to him. So sometimes acting worthy is just admitting your mistake and apologizing. Sometimes it's just, you know, if you're in front of your coworkers and you accidentally say a curse word, just say, you know what, guys, I apologize. I didn't mean to say that. You know, I, I just apologize. Sorry about that. It's when you just go on doing it, living it like it's your normal life, when you look just like them when you're a Christian that the problem comes. You know, and John, do you mind if I share that story when we talked about your work and working on Sunday? Sure. I don't remember. You don't remember? All right. You know, me and John were talking the night, we went out running, and, and he, uh, his boss asked him to work on a Sunday, and and uh, John's a good man. His first thought is, without even thinking about it, he says, yeah, I'll work, I'll come in, and then he starts thinking about it, and he goes, wait a minute, if I have to work on Sunday, then I can't come to church, you know, and and, and it's important for believers to spend time in church and with other with other members, And he, and he didn't know what to do, so he came and he talked to me, and we were talking about it, and... In the end, we, you know, we talked about it, and we did. We decided that you know, working on Sunday is probably not a good thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that he already said he would do it. So in those situations, how do you act in a manner that's worthy of the gospel? And uh, I praise God that, uh, that, that after he had decided he was going to act in a manner worthy of the gospel, he was going to go in and, and say, you know what, I told you I'd work, so I'm going to work. Because that's what a godly man does. When a godly man gives his word, he keeps his word. And he decided he was going to do that and then let them know that, you know, Sundays aren't a good day for me to work. You know, I have stuff going on. But uh, the question is though once he, made the dec- once he told them he would work, what would he do? Would he, would he miss church and go to work or, or whatnot? But the godly thing to do is to, to basically admit that you made the mistake, live up to what you did, and go in there and say, you know what, I, I made a mistake. I, I, I don't usually work on Sundays and it's not something I can do. But because I said I would, I'm going to be here. But in the future, you know, this, you know, I can't work on Sundays. And that's acting in a godly manner. Because one, if his people that are, are working with him were watching and they say, hey, you know what? He's supposed to be a Christian, but he, he's even okay. on working on Sunday. He doesn't want to go to church. What kind of Christian is that? But just making that declaration saying, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm going to do it because I said I would. That's, the, that's acting in a godly manner. And they'll see that and go, okay, now I see what's going on. I see what's, what's, what's happening in this godly man's life. Now, I thank God that uh, it worked out that he didn't have to work and, and everything changed, but, uh, you know, he was willing to act in a godly manner, and, and I, I thank God for that. Another way that we act in a manner worthy of the gospel is to stand together with one spirit and one mind he says that we're going to stand firm in one, man, one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, globally or, or at a uh, macro level, standing together in one faith is understanding that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're standing together to, uh, to, 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 for the Great Commission ultimately to preach the whole world the gospel. And... And a micro level, talking about how we're in this local body, You know, we're standing together with one vision, and our vision is to grow and reach the city of Marana. And the one way that we, we behave as mature Christians is we stand together with one vision, one mind, and standing in the unity of the faith. You know, The, the immature Christian just kind of shows up on Sunday, does whatever they want, and goes away. They don't buy into the vision of the kingdom of God. So standing together with one mind is another way that we show our maturity level. In the 2 Corinthians 6, 1-3, through 3, it says, In working together with Him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. To receive the grace of God in vain is to receive it with no effect. It has no impact on your life. Basically, it goes in one ear and out the other. Remember the parable of the, the sowers when Jesus said that the, the seed, the word, comes in and, and lands on rocky ground. It doesn't take root. That's receiving the word in vain. You hear it, but you don't let it have any effect in your life. And He says, For he says, "At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you." Behold, now is the acceptable time; behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. You know, we have to to be careful not to give offense in anything that we do to other people. You know, we need to, that's one of those things, acting hypocritically is giving an offense that will actually uh, detract from somebody maybe receiving the gospel later because they see, oh, I don't want to be like one of those Christians. You know, the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, in the King James Version, I like the way it words it, it says, uh, in other versions it says, abstain from all evil or abstain from, from all kinds of evil. But in the, New, or the King James Version, it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, the truth is that not only do we have to abstain from actual evil, actual sin, but we have to abstain from the appearance of it as well. It's the, it's the main reason why, uh, you know, I won't meet with a woman alone. Not that, one, there's a chance something stupid could happen, but uh, not that that would ever happen because if I know who I am. I'm not going to do anything stupid. But what if somebody were on the outside and, uh, and, and saw this thing? And they're like, wait a minute, why are they why are they meeting together alone? What's going on here? That's the appearance of evil, even though nothing is happening. And that could cause offense in someone's life. I mean, if somebody saw the pastor out having having lunch with a woman, even though it could be something innocuous or, or anything, they're gonna wonder, Hey, what's going on here? And that could cause them to to not want to be a Christian because they don't want to live a life like this. this is what Christians do. You know when I'm what I'm getting at here? We represent Jesus whenever we do anything. People see in us Christ's love or when we fail to act as we should or we act hypocritically, they attribute that to him as well. I was reading a story about a restaurant owner. and He was a Christian and somebody left a wallet at his restaurant. He opens up it, it's got $1,000 cash in the wallet. So he takes it, puts it back in his office, and, and immediately the enemy begins to t- talk to him and say, you know what, no one knows you found that wallet, nobody knows what happened to it, just go ahead and take the money out. Go on that vacation you always wanted to take. You can call the guy, give him his, his wallet back, and he'll probably just be excited that he got all his credit cards back and, and all these things. And uh, you know, ultimately he says, you know what, I'm not going to listen to that. And he calls the man and he returns the wallet and it's got all the money in it, and, and, then, and you know, the man tells him, and he says, you know, I really appreciate you calling me and giving my wallet back. He says, I've never been trustful of Christians. Because he did that, because he acted in a godly manner, not giving any cause for offense, he made an impact in that man's life and actually turned around their idea of who Christians are. Pastor Jack Harris in Iraq right now, uh, we have a thing that the other church does called the Starfish Project. And what that is is they do a rummage sale twice a year, and they raise money to support these widows. When uh, I think I've talked to you about the starfish project before, but the, the in Iraq. Uh, Saddam Hussein went and killed all the males in the Kurdistan culture. Every male above a, you know, that was considered a man, he killed them all, and he left all these widows, and these widows have nothing. They don't work, they don't have, you know, in that society, they, you know, they can't get a job, they don't have any education. They took care of the family, and now their income has dried up because their husbands were killed, and, you know, the next best thing that they, the only thing they can do to save their children is to sell them off, basically, so that they can be fed and eat but obviously the idea of selling your child off usually doesn't you know it doesn't paint a good picture but so what what this ministry does is it is it sends money to these muslim women they're still muslim they're not christians these muslim women and it takes care of them make sure that their kids can go to school and they can be educated make sure they have food building houses for them all these things and the effect there that we're having is is that the Muslim people are beginning to see that Christians aren't who they've been painted to be. We're not these these evil people that Allah wants to kill, and you know it's it's that we're we're beginning to change their minds on who Christian is because we're not giving any cause for offense and we're acting in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen. Next thing we have to do as a mature Christian is be wise in our freedom. First Corinthians six twelve says, "All things are lawful for me." But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. How many are thankful that in Christ we're free? We're not uh, tied down to the law. There's not this list of things that we can't do ceremoniously, you know, because if we do this, we're going to hell, you know. Um, I thank God that we have freedom in Christ. But the problem is, is that particularly in this situation, the, the Corinthian church, they were, they were kind of taking advantage of that freedom, thinking, you know, kind of the, probably in the, the old vein of, uh, you know, I'm forgiven for everything, so I can, you know, I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven anyway. And in this particular case, he's dealing with sexual sin, but this really applies to, to anything in our life, that, that even though that, that all things are lawful for us in Jesus, because he fulfilled the law, that we have freedom in everything. That all things are not profitable for us, watching t v not a sin, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not watch c b s you' you're you're we're good we can watch t v but how many know that even though it's lawful for us, there becomes a time that it may not be profitable for us? There comes a time that if if you become enslaved by the television and all of your spare time is is taken up by watching uh Judge Judy instead of spending some time in in the bible then uh that's a problem. You know, it's not profitable for you. And this goes for anything. You get too wrapped up in sports. You know, watching football is not an issue, but if it becomes your entire life, now it's an issue. Video games, food, anything that will, attempts to, to overtake you and get in the way between you, you and your relationship with God is something that's not profitable for you, although it's technically lawful for you in Christ. Amen. Paul was uh, dealing with the, the I don't remember which church he was dealing with, but the same thing. They were about eating food sacrificed to idols. You know, Paul was saying that it's lawful for you to eat those foods, but but don't do it if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. You know, never. See, Paul said, "I will never eat meat again if that would cause some of my fellow fellow men to be saved. If that would make it where they would never be tripped up." And that's the the attitude that we need to have as well. And then we also need to, as mature Christians, not give the devil any opportunity in our life. In 2 Corinthians 2.11 it says, So that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan. We are not ignorant of his schemes. There's an enemy out there that wants to attack you. He wants you to fail. And the closer you get to God, the harder he's going to work to pull you down away from him. So as mature Christians, we need to act in such a way that that the devil can't take advantage of us. Because we're aware of his schemes against us. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you used to be an alcoholic, but God freed you from alcoholism and that you're now pure and made whole and and you beat that disease, don't go to bars. You know, Don't put yourself in a position where the devil can take advantage of you. Because the the truth is that uh, you're free, you're completely free of that disease. But if you walk into a bar, the enemy will instantly begin to start uh, tempting you and trying to get you to do these things. But we're not ignorant of his scheme, so we're not going to put ourselves into that position. Amen? What about if you have something against somebody? What if you're offended by what somebody did? Something that somebody did? You know, you have a couple of choices. You can either deal with it, you can go talk to them and figure out what's going on. And the truth is that offense is more often received than it's given. You know, the chances are if you're offended by what somebody did, they probably don't even know what happened. But go ahead and, and talk to him. Don't let that, that fester inside of you and become something worse. It goes from, from just a slight offense into anger and disdain and, and, and really just festering into causing a problem, not only in their life, as if you do anything silly, but also in your life as it begins to eat you up on the inside. Don't give the devil an opportunity because we're aware of his schemes. Amen. And then Ephesians 4:25 through 27 it says therefore laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another be angry and yet do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity You know we need to interact with each other in a godly manner Churches can be destroyed by offense. If somebody gets offended and they get upset and and they take off or or they begin to slander or badmouth the church or the pastors or members of the body, it can really destroy a church. So instead, we need to interact with each other in a godly manner, with love and respect. Even if you are offended, even if something happens, if you know you've offended somebody, go and talk to them. Apologize. Make it right. If you're offended by somebody, go and talk to them. Let them know. Give them the opportunity to make it right. And then it says, be angry and yet do not sin. You know you can be angry and not sin? Jesus in the temple tore apart the temple in anger because the, uh, the, the people in the temple were, were selling. They basically had turned, they had turned something that God meant for good, sacrifices and, and uh, you know, making yourself right with God, they had turned it into a business and they were just trying to make a profit. It had no spiritual significance to them. They were just trying to make a profit. And, and Jesus was angry. You know, it's, you ever seen the uh, what would Jesus do uh, uh, bands or whatever people write WWJD? And I always thought it was funny. It's is uh, Apparently flipping his top and overturning tables is, uh, is an appropriate reaction. And what would Jesus do at times? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I remember a story, and I don't remember the details anymore. I Thank God I don't remember the details. But there was a story about a, a a boyfriend abusing this uh lady's son and it wasn't sexual abuse or anything it was just he made him do something over a long period of time and and ultimately the the child ended up dying because and it started off by urinating on himself because the guy wouldn't let him leave and and then he ended up uh, uh the kid ended up dying because of of what this man made him do And I remember reading this story and in my spirit, I just got incredibly angry. I was so, I couldn't believe that this was happening. I was angry at the situation. And I, mean, no, I didn't sin. Jesus didn't sin when he got angry. Sin or anger is not necessarily a sin, it's the stuff that it leads to, the stuff that we do. If we let it if we get angry at somebody and, and uh, we don't deal with it, then it can lead to sin as we do stupid stuff or it begins to cause problems in our mind. That's why the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And as mature Christians, the, uh, how we regard others is important as well. In Ephesians 4.18, or 6.18, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You know, we need to continue to pray for one another. Mature Christians pray for the other members of their church. And it says that it's not just one-off prayers either, to, you know, oh Lord, please bless this person, and never think about it again. It says to do it with perseverance. You know, we continue to lift each one another up in prayer as mature Christians. That's that's one of the signs of maturity is is taking care of each other. Take, you wanna beat that dog for me, Joseph? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know. Praise God. So uh, yeah, we 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 continue praying for one another. We don't just do it a one off and give up. You know, it's like that that cartoon I told you guys about the the. The, the guy sees his friend John walking in, and he goes, "Oh no! I told John I would pray for him. Dear Lord, please, please bless John." And when John walks over, he goes, "Hey, John, been praying for you." You know that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about seriously caring about one another. Amen. Philippians two three through five says, "Do nothing from selfishness, from or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, when we're talking about Jesus being the measure of a mature man, this is part of it. It says, regard others as more important than yourself. Jesus regarded the entire world. As more, more important than himself. Matter of fact, he had this attitude that he was willing to die, to put down everything, his self-interest, his self-preservation, his own self, he was willing to set aside for all of us. And we should have the same attitude towards one another as well. We take care of one another. If one another is in need, then we, we fulfill that need. If somebody needs something, we take care of them. We do what we can to, to help out each other. Next, a mature Christian acts obediently. Philippians 2.12-15 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This work out your salvation, it doesn't mean that uh, you need to work for your salvation. Basically what he's saying is working out your salvation is its determining what God wants for your life and living that plan of God in your life out. Working out your salvation is more like a math problem where you're trying to figure out what the answer is. You're working it out. You, know, you want to figure out what God's plan is for your life. And you work that out. You live that out. It has nothing to do with, with uh, working for your salvation. I just wanted to make that clear as we read that. It says, "For It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know, mature Christians are obedient to God. They're obedient to the Word. They're obedient to their leaders. It says, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, the truth is, we're going to to do what God says in our lives. Jesus once said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then we do it with a joyful heart. It says we do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, as a Christian, as you begin to fundamentally change on the inside, as you mature, you actually want to live for God. You want to please Him. Much like your children want to please you, we want to please our Heavenly Father as well. And we do it with a joyful heart and willingness. And to be able to do these things is a sign of a, of a mature believer. When, when you can go to somebody and ask them to help out, and they don't complain about it. Why is he always asking me? Or why do I always have to do these things? Or I can't believe he wants me to do that. You know, when we do that with a joyful heart, that's a sign of a mature believer. And then he says that this is so we will prove to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, and this is the important part, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. People are watching this all the time. And a mature Christian is a, is a light that shines brightly. is a light that, that stands out and people can see something different in them. But the problem that we can have if we're not uh, maturing in the Lord and growing is that we don't appear as lights, we just blend in. You know, you're not shining, you're just, you look just like the world. You know, we don't want to be a, a, a church that looks just like the world. We want to stand out and be bright shining on top of a hill, amen? Also, mature Christians are content. I'm going to have to pick it up a little bit. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You know, when, when we need something, instead of worrying about it and wondering how things are going to work out and are we going to have enough money to pay the bills, are we going to have enough food, are we going to, is the car going to break down, instead of being anxious and worrying about everything, you know, what we need to do is just give that to God. This is in prayer and supplication, you know, by prayer we ask God to, to meet our needs and we thank Him and, and we just hand our anxiety over to Him. Because, you know, if anxiety is really just a, a lack of trust for God, of, of believing that God will work in your life. But if you believe God is going to take care of you, no matter how things happen, they're going to work out for your good, you can just hand that anxiety over and you can live with peace in your life. And then in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 it says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mature Christians are content with what they have. They're not always looking for something to fill that void, because Jesus has, always, has already filled that void inside your life. And the truth is, how much you have is not an indication of how much God loves you. How much you have is not an indication of your maturity level. You know, it's not like the young and mature Christians have nothing, and as they become more and more mature, they get richer and richer and richer and have more and more and more stuff. The truth is, Paul... Uh, probably one of the most mature Christians that ever lived, had dealt with nothing a lot of times. He was shipwrecked. He was on an island by, uh, with a bunch of people where the ship just got wrecked. They already thrown off all their food. He had nothing. He was in prison. And there were times that he had plenty, he says. He had everything that he needed. All his needs were supplied. But his fulfillment was not in the stuff that he had, but his fulfillment was in Christ. And in his maturity, he understood that he could do all things with Christ inside of him. And the same goes for us. As we mature in the Lord, we understand that, that, we, that Christ is the one that fills our needs. He fills the void that we had inside of us before him. And in him, we can do all things. Finally, we need to assess what is important. What is important? Philippians 3, 7-9 says, whatever these for, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And this is Paul speaking again. More than that, I count all the things to be lost in a view of my surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith, you know the mature Christian understands that the kingdom of God, that Christ, is more important than anything else that they have in their life. Paul, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was a respected and successful religious leader. He had a great reputation, and but he understood that in comparison to Christ, that was nothing. Matter of fact, that it says he. Uh, uh, he was willing to give it all up, and he considered it to be refuse. This word refuse here, or rubbish, is refuse or trash. And, and uh, people smarter than me have said it even refers to basically the, you know, dung. I mean, it's, it's, it's worth nothing. It's just excrement, is what all this stuff is worth compared to Jesus. Paul didn't consider anything to be greater than knowing Jesus, and he was willing to trade everything to gain Christ. And we know that that's the case. He did. He traded all of that prestige and success to preach the gospel, and it cost him many things and ultimately his life. So the question I have for you, what are you willing to give up? And I'm not asking you to give up anything, but the willingness is more important than the actual doing, because it's your hard attitude that counts. Amen. And the final uh, scriptures we'll look at today is 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 what it what is the path to maturity? How do we get there? So I've looked at all these things that encompass a mature Christian, and uh, so how do we get there? In Galatians five sixteen it says, "But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." And finally, in Philippians four eight it says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So how do you walk by the Spirit so that you're not carried away by the desire of the flesh? So you keep your focus on Christ. You keep your mind on heavenly things. If your focus is on Jesus, if your focus is on His kingdom, it's impossible to fail. Matter of fact, the only times in my life that I ever fail is when I push, push Jesus off to the side. When I push Him to the side, it's when I have the opportunity to fail. But if He is my focus, if I keep my eyes on Him, then I'm walking by the Spirit and I'm not able to carry out the desire of the flesh. And also as Christians, we all know what the right thing to do is. All this, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, we know what those things are. And if you're not sure how a Christian should act, just go ahead and ask a non-Christian. They'll tell you. They all know. You know, the truth is, if you're not sure, talk to your leaders. Talk to other mature Christians and help them to disciple you so that you can continue to grow. Maturing in Christ is not going to happen by accident. You've got to make the choice. You've got to choose to be a disciple. You've got to choose to spend time in the Word. But if you do these things, you'll continue to grow in Christ and you'll begin to attain work towards attaining that measure and stature, which is the fullness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet, and we'll pray and end the service.